Thank you so much for tuning back into the Ray Ed Podcast. We are down here in Columbus, Ohio right now at Attorney General Dave Yost's office, uh, and he is attacking the issue of human trafficking here in Ohio. Attorney General Dave Yost um, has set up the Human Trafficking Initiative, which has four specific priorities to fight human trafficking. Uh, number one, focus on prevention and education to stop some of the inflow of victims. Number two, creating legislative policy to make sure Ohio is doing what it can to fight trafficking. Number three, assisting in training task forces and prosecutors to build human trafficking cases and develop more task forces in the state. And number four, streamlining victim services so that victims don't have to go to so many different places to get the help they need. Now, we at Rahab are so extremely excited to have the opportunity to speak with two amazing people from the Attorney General's office that are currently working to help accomplish those priorities. First, we have Jamel Aird, who's a direct director of victim services for the Attorney General's Human Trafficking Initiative, and Jennifer Rausch, legal director of the Attorney General's Human Trafficking Initiative. Thank you both. You're laughing at me now, but thank you so much for, <laughs> for carving out the time. You're, you. probably, you're probably crazy busy, and you carved out this time to have a conversation with us, so yeah. thank you so much. Thanks we're, for having us. Yeah, we're never too busy for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Can you guys tell me a little bit about what you did before you landed here at the Human Trafficking Initiative. Um, Jamel, if you want to start. Sure. So prior to coming to the Attorney General's office, I was a victim advocate embedded full-time with our Central Ohio Human Trafficking Task Force. Did that for almost two and a half years, um, where I would work with all the victims in our cases through case management, um, from the point of contact, whether that was on the streets, in a trap house, at the jail, at the mm. prison, uh, from a tip at the hospital, and work with that victim that was connected with our cases all the way through prosecution. So um, helping them meet their basic needs, getting them an ID, getting them into rehab if that's what was necessary, housing, just having support, building friendships, setting goals, learning how to budget, finding jobs, all the different pieces as that person was on their road to recovery. Um, and then prior to that, I'm from South Florida. Um, winters are rough here, so I'm put that out there. <laughs> um, and there I worked for six and a half years at our state attorney's office in Palm Beach County, Florida as a victim advocate and victim witness coordinator in our DV unit and our county court unit that handled DUIs, stalking, dating violence, all the other misdemeanor mm. crimes. And so for me, um, part of being a victim advocate, you have to do continuing education credits. And I took a class on human trafficking and I said, this is the population that I want to work with. Um, and I was like, God, wherever you send me, I'll go. And I literally Googled human trafficking, victim advocate, search. And Columbus, Ohio popped up in Washington You're like, State. oh, not there. No. <laughs> and I was no. like, where is this place again? Where is Ohio? Okay, it said Midwest. And I'm like, but I don't think it's in the Midwest. Iowa, it, Ohio. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it ended up being Columbus, Ohio. And so I moved here, just me and my dog, all my family is in Florida, and just came to Ohio. It'll be three years this month that I've been here um, and just living my best life, helping people. And so you spent, you spent years really coming alongside and building deep, meaningful relationships with victims of sex yes. trafficking, survivors yes. of sex trafficking. Um, so for the past two and a half years, three years here in Ohio for sure, and then before that, our DV victims and other crimes that also had connections yep. possibly to human trafficking. So in July will be 10 years that I've been working as a victim advocate. Wow. So, I know, crazy. Are you yeah. having a party? Maybe I should. Good idea. Yeah. It sounds like you're, are you offering to have a party for We should her? throw one. Okay. We should throw one. I'm coming. Three-year anniversary to Ohio party and the 10-year anniversary <laughs> for Victim Advocacy. I'm here for it. So you took a similar route, Jen? Um, similar, but a little bit different in that I've always been in Columbus. I never strayed far from home, so I have enjoyed our balmy winter this mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. um, I have not gotten to live in sunny Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. I was with the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office for almost 20 years. I started there as an intern in law school, but actually, um, I like to say that how I ended up in this job is sort of a series of happy accidents. Um, really, it is, because I did some volunteer work. I went to um, a concert slash music fair when I was in college uh -huh. and learned about the Sexual Assault Response Network of Central Ohio, and uh, they were basically asking for volunteers, so helpline volunteers and hospital advocates, and I was like, for whatever reason, because I don't um, unlike some people that work in this field don't have a life history of that it just spoke to me for some unknown reason um, so you both have that in common I, I mean something happened in a, in a moment that you, yeah, you that said, sort of changed, that direction yeah just sort of changed hmm. it, it ended up changing the, the entire course of my life because 
you obviously have to get training for that, right? They're not yeah. going to just put anybody, uh-huh. <laughs> like they're not going to let anybody go to an emergency room at 3 a.m. and sit with a, a victim of a sexual assault. So we go through the training and there's this woman from the prosecutor's office who is the director of their victim services or their victim advocacy program. And she's talking all about these prosecutors that handle these kinds of cases. And I'm like, oh, well, that's really cool. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a trial attorney who talks all the time or a transactional lawyer. And Jamel is chuckling. You can't, <laughs> he, there she is. She smiled because if you've spent any time with me now, I never shut up. Uh, <laughs> For all those out there. <laughs> and so you thought that that wouldn't be the role for that reason. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to uh, talk court. Talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, court? I don't know. That sounds scary. Uh, but I ended up getting like this internship at the attorney general's office with through a grant. And the person that was leading the group I was in knew the person that ran the special victims unit at the prosecutor's office wow. when I was in law school. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, let me put you in touch with her. And I was like, okay. So then I got my internship and I learned what they did and I learned about being a prosecutor and the rest is history. So I just sort of then decided I was going to be one of those prosecutors. So I, I decided in law school then that I was going to be a, a talking a lawyer. Talker. Wow. <laughs> Probably before then, but um, and so I read, yeah. I read your on the job piece on the attorney general's oh, website. Did you? And it said that you, so you've been working with Victims of sex trafficking for now over seven years. You said on the ground. Yeah. What does so, that mean on the ground? Well, so I, I prosecuted the cases. So when you start in the prosecutor's office, you kind of work your way through to trial staff. And within two years, I was on trial staff, two years of my graduation from law school. So I was like in True. my mid 20s and in the special victims unit because Just every. Get it done. Yeah, well, they want people that'll volunteer for it, right? Mm. You don't want to put somebody there helping victims that doesn't have a passion for it, doesn't want to be there, doesn't understand the issue. True. So, and that, like Jamel said, with regard to domestic violence, as we all know, there's so many pieces of trafficking that involve domestic violence, sexual assault, Mm -hmm. interpersonal violence, all of those dynamics. And that's what the Special Victims Unit would handle. Those kinds of cases, online exploitation, human trafficking, domestic homicides, child homicides, so really the worst of the worst. And so when trafficking... I've been doing it long enough that trafficking wasn't a charge when I first started. So when it started, uh, I took over the prosecution of it pretty quickly. Somebody else was handling it initially, and she indicted our very first case in Franklin County. And then I ended up finishing that case and stuck with it. And And was that 2011 or 2010 when when trafficking in persons law came on? I want to say... It's either 11 or 12. Okay. But it might have even been uh, later than that when we were able to successfully charge our first one, right? So uh, I ended up handling it, and it just became like, oh, this combines everything. So you finished, you got the first case in Franklin County across the finish line? Yep. Wow. I did. And then stuck with it, and I was their dedicated prosecutor, and actually Jamel and I crossed paths then when she became our advocate with the Central Ohio Human Trafficking Mm -hmm. Task Force. And then we both through different paths, uh-huh. ended up at the attorney general's office. Like, huh. this was not planned. We did not recruit one another. No. We were independently hired. And wow. it's just weird. And so was, I was thinking about that. I mean, and we've only, I mean, we've spent some time ha- hanging out. You saw, you guys came and visited Rahab's programming, and then we were down here for the summit. Mm-hmm. And you both clearly have significant skill sets and experience that have positioned you to to accomplish all four of these priorities. Like, I believe that wholeheartedly. Thank you. But there's addition, like, just because people have complementary skill sets doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make the best team always. Right. But for some reason, there's, like, some exponential dynamic when you two partner together. Tell me about that. What's going on with that? <laughs> what is happening? Like, I don't it? know. It's, like, this weird magic. You know how, like, <laughs> I, I, thought that I don't that, know. I thought that you maybe, like, recruited each other then. Uh-huh. So the no. fact that you said it didn't happen is surprising. Not at all. Zero. And, in fact, I remember texting her because I still had her cell phone number from when she did work on uh-huh. cases. And I was like, hi, do you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I might take this job. Uh, I'm really scared because I don't like change. And uh, it was a big deal for me to leave the job I had done for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I had less faith than Jamel, yeah, and for then sure. I, and then I was giving her feedback of this change was hard. It's going to be it's hard but good at the same time because you go from working 
uh, you're in the trenches and working um, nonstop with victims. And mm -hmm. for me, I was in constant like crisis mode with my victims and kind of um, helping them get through different pieces, um, getting them into different locations and responding. And so it was, it was definitely an adjustment, if you will, to go from that level of crisis management yes. to not that level of crisis management mm -hmm. um, and kind of having even like a schedule uh, you're getting off at a certain time each day and things like that um, and self-care and all those different things so I was kind of encouraging her that no no this may be a good season yeah. and I think it's important that um, when you're part of the social services work I think we can sometimes almost do a disservice to ourselves at times by not taking care of ourselves and so, so if, if you're able to press pause or to recalibrate or just to be able to change the dynamic of your, your workflow at times and take care of you, because there is only one you, um, I think that also will be impactful even for victims and survivors that you end up working with later on. So, Do you think it's possible to, to draw those lines and to take care of you while you're a victim advocate? Oh, for sure. I had to. So um, when because I was everything does feel like it's coming it has at to you. happen now yes. immediately Correct. all the time. Correct. So and when I was... When that's I was working hard. in Florida, um, I worked at the courthouse. So I was there when the courthouse opened, and then when the courthouse closed, that was the end of the day. That was it. In my role as a victim advocate on the task force, I was on call. Mm. Um, if, if our team went out and they ended up getting caught with somebody at 10 o'clock at night and that person needed services and they needed me to connect with them, then the clock starts again. You, you know working. what I mean? Um, and so it was definitely a different... A different level of self-care that I had to implement because what I was using before for my nine to five job at the courthouse was not sufficient in being in places and seeing things and being exposed to different situations um, and so I definitely had to improve that because I'm the kind of person as well that I feel everything. Yeah. <laughs> I have all the feelings and then oh, some, right? <laughs> all, the feelings. all the feelings, right? And so when there is a situation where, let's say, somebody that I'm working with, um, they AWOLed or they relapsed or they went back to an unsafe situation, I took that personally. Yeah. Like, what did I do wrong? How could I have prevented this from happening? You know, and I remember this one particular day I was sitting in, uh, I call it the Bat Cave, where our, our covert location was, because okay. it's covert, right? Yeah, it makes sense. And I was just weeping and like, weeping and gnashing my teeth, asking them, asking the, the, the That's detectives. My That's my favorite, Jamal thing. <laughs> weeping and weeping gnashing Weeping and gnashing my teeth. my teeth, asking like, how do you guys turn it off? Because uh -huh. I was having trouble, I leave work on Friday, and just kind of being on the state of alarm and crisis and worry. For the, for the rest of the weekend and looking at my phone and checking my phone. How do you either turn it off? How do you balance? I said, I don't know what to do when somebody is not ready yet and I feel like I right. couldn't connect with them enough and I was blaming myself and they just kind of had a nice, say, All right, come, come on, come on now, sis. You know, I call them my band of brothers and they're just kind of like, you can only do what you can do. Mm -hmm. You know, and people are ready at different times mm -hmm. and the beautiful thing is that you're just able to be present when they're ready. Yeah. and you're consistent when they're ready. Yeah. And so that just took a lot of adjustment um, and learning how to paint. I didn't know I liked painting until I moved here and just trying different things. Uh, reading books, I do photography on the side. My dog's a big help for my self-care as well. So there's definitely, it's capable to strike balance, but I think you just have to be self-aware of mm -hmm. what's going on, listening to your body and being aware of those things too. And also go to counseling. Yeah. For sure. Counseling and therapy, vicarious trauma is real. So. To be your healthiest self to help other people, I think, is super important. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big change going from that. Both Huge. And then you landed here, mm -hmm. but you have each other. Yes. <laughs> we totally do. And those words that she told me when we were texting it's about, uh, yeah, just about the change of pace, mm -hmm. those were really helpful and things I needed to hear, but also helped push me because part of the issue was the fact that I, pushed me in this direction, I mean, like to take the job because... Mm -hmm. The unit that I was in, since I mentioned it's, it's a volunteer unit, they also, you know, you don't have to stay there. They, they ask for you to stay a couple years, two years, right, is, is like the recommended, please stay for two years. Yeah. I was there for 15. I was like a dinosaur. I think I may, <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, I may, like, <laughs> if you would like to growl my last name. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but really, like nobody stays that long. Uh -huh. And I sort of got to the point, it was a really unhealthy statement, but my, my statement about it was, well, it's already messed me up so much. This job has already messed me up wow. so much, I'm, and I might as well stay. 
So it doesn't have to mess somebody else so up. So it doesn't have to mess somebody else up. But also, I felt like I was still doing a good job. Yeah. I was able to do different things. So, for example, taking on trafficking was an additional challenge and helped challenge my mind. Okay. So that was, that was what kept me in there for so long. We were doing really important work on strangulation. Mm -hmm. And so that kept me interested. And then when I became the director, that was an additional challenge. So th there were different things kind of that kept me in there, but each one of those things added to my plate too. Yeah. And so my plate wasn't just full. It was like overflowing, about to collapse. Like uh, we were joking the other day, like double up your paper plates, people, because it's about to, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it was about to break. No flimsy plates. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, no struggle plates. Yeah. No. And, um, and so I had a really serious conversation with my spouse and he was just like, you're just not, you're just different. And he was always super supportive. Like yeah. before I joined the unit, before we had a child, I asked him, are you okay with this? I need you to back me. And he's been amazing. Uh, but he was like, no, but I've noticed a change even wow. in the last few years. And so I needed to hear those things and have people be willing to tell me those tough things so that I was willing to take the leap. And man, when I took the leap, I was like, it was like hitting the brakes. Because, like Jamel said, for me, I had a docket of 50-plus cases, plus I was managing six attorneys, plus, 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 plus. And so it's like I'm in court all morning. I'm doing supervisor stuff in the afternoon, answering emails, answering calls, maybe working on my own cases. Right. Um, then I'm prepping trials late at night or on the weekend. And if you're in trial, then everything else stops. And so I just didn't realize it, but I was constantly in not survival mode, go but mode. like, go, go, go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so when I started here, it was a complete readjustment, but we still have really busy days. We're still doing really important things. And, and so I have enjoyed, uh, like Jamel, Jamel likes to remind me about my self care too, but I have even just noticed I laugh more. Um, I'm a, I'm a big reader and that had dropped off some and I am reading way more than I used to. So you're noticing I'm things. noticing things. Um, I'm getting back into um, cycling. I just signed up again for Pelotonia, and I had taken several years off because I just didn't have the motivation mm -hmm. to get out and train and push myself because I was tired all the time. Or yeah. was I depressed? Like, was I yeah. not taking care of myself? Was I taking too much of the trauma on? Right. And so this job, I've already noticed that, but, but we're still able to serve victims. So, yes, we did the on the ground stuff but now i still feel like i'm doing rewarding totally you know, important that's work. what i'm hearing though too because yeah. you've got you've got your your whole background um from from the legal and the, the prosecution side of it you've got the the victim advocates background mm -hmm. you both were working at a clip where you there was your you were at capacity yes. and beyond capacity and now you're in a role where the people who are still in those jobs that are maybe mm -hmm. feeling exhausted, um, maybe you know over capacity, they can take, um, or they can have confidence that the people that are now at the top leading this thing at a statewide, mm -hmm. from a statewide initiative perspective, know what what it's like to be there, yes. and yes. Um, are doing are fighting for the things that are going to give them the tools and, yes. and the the ability to actually make me a real change. Yes, yes, and so that's incredible. So mm -hmm. it's, I mean it's. You both are clearly the people who should be doing your jobs, Thanks. right? <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's obvious. <laughs> and we, and we love it. And it's been, they're, they're, not a lot of people get to go to work every day and you're looking forward oh. to work, you're looking forward to seeing For your real. coworkers. I've been blessed since I've come to Ohio as well to be able to have that experience. Yeah. Um, even when I'm on the task force, just being able to go into an environment that, I love y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really enjoy it, you know, and I get to mm -hmm. have that experience here too so it's a positive <laughs> it's a positive work environment and I think that helps so much when it comes to mm -hmm. doing difficult work and a difficult topic mm -hmm. and a heavy topic totally to be able to have that camaraderie that family kind of sense and like we're friends you know mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. like I miss you when you're gone <laughs> <laughs> so you're not I, allowed to take time I think off. That that's something that we we f I can I can yes and I can agree with because i I have. I feel like we have that mm -hmm. at Rahab too. Which we could is tell we, that when we were up there. When oh, we sure. visited, um, I think that was part of why we enjoyed our visit so much, right? So not only did we really love all of the things that you had put together, we were just amazed by everything. Also, that was you completely wrecked us because it was one of our first road trips too. 
So you gave us a good lunch. Hmm. I mean, introduce you didn't give a it to us like fabulous lunch we had at Mustard Seed. <laughs> this is not sponsored. This podcast is not sponsored. The cookies were amazing. Okay, right, 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 but right. we like cookies yeah. for our road trips, so that mm-hmm. great cookies. But but just like all of the things you guys were doing, but also just the people that you were and how you guys get along really well too, and just that you were genuine in your work too, yeah. and that you were the right people in the right places. Yeah. And it was it was a good day. It yeah. was the day that gave me feelings. I remember. Yeah. I remember that. For real. And so, and then you told the whole auditorium full of people that. I did. Wow. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. For real, thank you. And and so, as Rahab Ministries, we, we find that we are constantly being asked to do public speaking, whether it's in schools, mm-hmm. whether it's in hospitals, whether it's in community groups or churches or whatever, we're constantly speaking. And um, one thing that I, I hear more and more often from people when I tell them I'm at Rahab or we're doing a speaking engagement or something is their initial response is, oh, I some iteration of, I hear sex trafficking is so bad in Ohio. Or, oh, wow, I hear it's so bad in Stark County or Northeast Ohio. Oh, oh, I hear that human trafficking is like the fourth worst, I mean, Ohio is the fourth worst state in the country. And um, those statements just don't sit well with me. I I think that um, when we have a community that's aware and responsive to an issue, you're going to see that mm-hmm. issue more prevalently and prominently. And that it doesn't actually mean that the issue is worse here than it is other places. I think that it actually means the opposite, that our, a, a, an aware and responsive community is a safer community than a community where you don't hear anything about sex trafficking. And so I would go as far as to say that I think for that reason, um, Ohio is actually emerging as a leader in how we fight mm-hmm. sex trafficking and how we respond to, to sex trafficking. And so if you agree with that, what ways do you see Ohio uh, as a leader in the way that we're responding to, to human trafficking? Oh, you want me to do this one? Okay. <laughs> you both can well, jump in on it. Yeah, yeah. I, feel like, um, I feel like the fact that we're sitting here having this conversation is a great indicator, so right? Um, the fact that we have people in leadership that recognize what an important issue this is and are willing to dedicate the resources to it, like the development of our initiative. But I think that you said it absolutely right. So those that ranking is based on calls to the national hotline. Right. Um, and so the fact that we have that many calls means that our state has done an amazing job of telling people what trafficking looks like. Right. That doesn't mean there's not still a lot of work to do. Uh-huh. Um, but it means that we do have a large amount of awareness. So all of the speaking engagements that you're doing, um, that the task forces are doing, that the other great workers are doing throughout the state, it, that's why that number's high. And so people really, are asking us. We're not. We're not asking to do speaking engagements. Yeah, so you're, you're right. The community's asking for it. Right, and so that there's a desire to learn, and we're having that same experience right mm-hmm. now too, um, where people are asking us to come and to do certain things, and we love that because they want to know, and they're all sorts of different groups. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been the exciting thing, too, is that the types of people that want training are mm-hmm. really kind of growing and expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that reflects what a great job Ohio is doing. And so I, I agree with you. I think that, that that number doesn't necessarily mean we're that number mm-hmm. worst in the country. It just right. means we're doing that good of a job educating yeah, I would people. agree with that. And I like that you even use the word exciting because people don't normally take this issue of sex trafficking and use, like, exciting with it. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's not exciting what's happening, but the response and the momentum that you can sense is happening right now is exciting. Like, I think we're in a time where we're about to see um, some things really come come to light. It's a collective effort, and Uh I think we're looking at things in a holistic way. Yeah. So it's not just um, through a law enforcement lens. It's not just through a social services lens. It's not just through a court-specific lens. I think everybody, there's a collective effort to bring the different disciplines to the table, and to have these conversations, what are what is our group missing? What is this group missing? What right. is that group missing? And how can we better respond um, to the issue, to victims, and what can we do better? Also, what what are we not doing well? Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? And mm-hmm. having those real kind of pie-in-the-face conversations, but I think yeah. that's, that's what helps people grow and agencies grow. Um, so I think that's amazing. And even the demographics, when you talked about this different variety of people, so a couple of weeks ago I went and I spoke to a Rotary Club in Portage County. Um, and you had a, a lot of folks there that were like retired yep. already that are like, hi, we just want to understand mm-hmm. and we want to know and we don't, we don't know what the issue is and we want to kind of learn about this. Then we also have where we went to a high school um, in Erie County and spoke to the entire high school. And so you have these different um, groups, 
demographics, ages, races, you name it. So I think more and more people are wanting to learn. And I think because human trafficking is kind of, I don't necessarily say it as a buzzword, but it's a word that people are definitely talking about. Right. And you're seeing it on social media. You're, you're hearing it at church. You're hearing it in conversation. You're, you're seeing things when you're just even just out with family or what have you. Um, and I think it's causing people to kind of have those conversations and want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And so, go ahead. I was just going to say, I liked that you um, pointed out the thing about exciting, right? So we don't usually use words like that with a dark topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And that transitions to, I think, a lot of our approach. Jamel Mm -hmm. and I have talked a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it fits with our personalities, too. It totally does. Uh, Because what we want, and if you you look at our our logo for the initiative, um, which we... Helped brainstorm. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, the, the, the real graphic people took care of all of the actually great work mm-hmm. on it. But we wanted it to be more hopeful. We yeah. wanted it to be light. We wanted it to be that we are talking about a difficult and awful, terrible su- subject matter. But we want to provide hope. We yeah. want people to know that if you have the right people doing the right things, that we can get a lot of great results. And that is a positive thing. And we can get positive results for the people that have been harmed in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has been sort of our message. And even when we go present, right? Like, so we're laughing and we're yeah. joking and we're just sort of being us because that's who we really mm-hmm. are. But that doesn't mean we can't take the work seriously and do for a good sure. job. For sure. Of course. But I think that it's really important to have that piece of it because mm-hmm. if you come in and you're dark and you're twisty all the time, it's not great. And that... <laughs> I think my my dark and twistiness has decreased. <laughs> my dark and twisty level has decreased since I took the new job, probably. I think so. Okay. Yeah, and that's one one of the things that we've been actually asked specifically by places that are requesting a speaker from rehab is, can you come in and share something hopeful? Mm-hmm. Can you bring that hope piece? We've got a panel of speakers that are covering everything, but can you just bring the hope? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Sure. And that was like, one thing yeah. we wanted to include in our Human Trafficking Summit. Yep. Right, we wanted to end the day, so you go through this whole day of learning the different mm-hmm. um, levels that are lo- that that happen within human trafficking, labor, sex trafficking, vulnerabilities, um, all the different things. But we wanted to end on hope. Yeah. And so now you've learned all these things. So we called it hope in action. Mm-hmm. So now that you learn these things, what can you do to kind of help be the action piece to that and be the hands and feet and move forward with what you're learning and how this could impact? And another thing that we did was. We um, did a video with survivors to kind of talk about their successes, right? Um, So many times people just want to hear about, tell us about your worst trafficking situation or, you know, these terrible experiences that somebody may have gone through. We wanted to celebrate where they are now. Yeah. Where they've... Where, where they've grown, what they're doing, what they love, um, just just be able to celebrate that piece as well. I think sometimes that piece, that hope piece, uh-huh. can be missing a lot of times from that conversation yes. on human trafficking. So, yeah. And that's why exactly why we wanted to send people at the end of the day, send them home with that message. Like, yeah. look. For sure. This is, this is what we can all accomplish. And I love that it's not just a... It's... It's at the end of the day strategically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's not an afterthought. Correct. No. Right. So it's it's there is a there is a real reason to have hope. Yes. yes. And I think that that again goes back to yes. Ohio leading. Yeah. And I think that the it's like it's a personality that your your team is carrying. So mm-hmm. thank you. That's evident. Uh, and so you said something about uh, Jamal. You said something about not seeing it through just one lens, mm-hmm. like you know, law enforcement or social services or something like that. And so. At, I mean, staying on this public speaking thing, we, one of the questions we get during Q&A time all the time is, uh, why isn't law enforcement arresting more traffickers? Mm. How do you answer that? So, so many things. Yeah, <laughs> a you, lot. You There's could just be all that. the way. Yeah. Um, so I guess, first of all, I guess the average person doesn't understand what an investigation looks like when agree. law enforcement is. So it's not, it's not the same where, let's say, there is a assault or battery that happens in front of somebody and those two people are still there and somebody calls the police and the police come and somebody gets charged right then and there, right? right? There's an investigation that happens that can take some time, sometimes six months, sometimes a year. And what people don't understand is when you have a crime that involves a victim, you also need to have a victim that's also willing to cooperate and tell their story. Yeah. So when you have those pieces of there's evidence and there's other things that are going on, 
you still need to be able to have a victim that's willing to cooperate, willing to talk to law enforcement, and willing to say, I trust you, law enforcement, right? Um, and many times a, a victim that is either still in this situation or just coming out of it, there's a lot of basic needs that, they, that they're in need of. And so many times they're not ready to have that conversation with law enforcement from the very <laughs> beginning. It's after they've started going to counseling, it's after they are um, in recovery and they've gone through rehab or they're, they're, they're gone through detox, after that they've been able to solidify a safe place to stay, a mm -hmm. place they've been able to sleep for a couple right. days, they've been able to get food for a couple days and not worry about being in survival mode. So you think of all those different pieces and that can take a while sometimes for some survivors based on what they've been through. Um, addressing mental health needs and medications and even just like medical health and um, whether there is hepatitis C or there's abscesses or other things that, that their body's been experiencing or exposed to, allowing for those needs, those basic needs to be met and to be taken care of and allowing them to also feel safe and to feel like there are people that are here because they want to be here, Yeah. right? And so the building of trust is a huge, huge, huge part of um, working a human trafficking case, and that takes time, and it takes that rapport building, it takes service providers following through, it takes a joint effort of a multidisciplinary team working together, where you have the case managers, and you have the counselors, you have the law enforcement pieces, but everybody's working together. That way also this victim is not being re-traumatized by yeah. having to tell their story five, six, seven times mm -hmm. to each different, you know, agency, if you will. Um, so there's that, and I think a lot of people have the misconception that if somebody says, hey, there's a trafficker, the police is going to come now and just, all right, you're a trafficker, we're going to put you in cuffs and now take you to court, right? So when you have an investigation, the amount of other things that are going on, what our detectives make sure to do is try to build a case that the full weight of the case doesn't just rest on the victim. So if there's money laundering, if there's tax evasion, if there is drug possession, if there's these other crimes, illicit activities happening, those things will probably also be part of that case as well. Yeah. And I think that's a lot, that ends up being, um, I guess, an area of, <sighs> for victims, because it kind of allows them to feel like, no, I'm not carrying the whole weight of this case on my back, right? And what if I'm not ready to talk, to testify in front of the person that's been victimizing, victimizing me? What if I'm not ready to do that? I'm terrified, or I still love this person, mm -hmm. right? Um, so all the different pieces come into play when there's a case, and so I think from that vantage point, it's good for people to try to or to be educated on what does a human trafficking case entail, like. and that's just we're just talking about sex trafficking. We're not even talking about right. the labor trafficking mm -hmm. pieces that could be part of something as well. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on that, Jen? Yes. The, the other thing I would add, I could build on my terrible paper plate example, too. <laughs> and just say, like, all the things that the detectives are gathering during the investigation are, you know, supporting that. There are extra paper plates underneath there. Yeah. So the way I like to explain it to law enforcement is that we never want to send the victim into court alone. So any piece, any piece of what they're reporting that you can verify or support, not because we don't believe them, but because that's what jurors expect. Um, and jurors want. I mean, you're talking about very serious charges, um, as they should be. Trafficking in persons carries 10 to 15 years mandatory um, and, and uh, 25 years registration as a sex offender. So they're very serious charges, and so you should have, um, you know, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of evidence, but you should have, you shouldn't put that all on the victim. You shouldn't put that all on the, on the victim's shoulders um, to carry the weight of the case. So anything that you can provide support for, even if it's just we stayed at this hotel, it doesn't matter if the hotel receipt is in somebody else's name, if, um, if it's in the victim's name or one of the other girl's names, as long as it's during the time frame the victim reported, that's great. I mean, I'll take that. So getting all of those documents takes a long time. There's a subpoena process and Maybe they collected phones and the phones need analyzed and that takes a long so time. So, so, so much. It's really, it. they're really complicated. And then you add in all of the other dynamics of sexual assaults, domestic violence, all of kind of the power mm. and control that goes trauma into bond. it. Trauma mm -hmm. bonding, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really complicates things. So a lot of times from a prosecution standpoint, not that you want there to be multiple victims, but typically our traffickers have multiple victims. So the more victims you have co cooperating, the better a case it is. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean we won't go forward with only one if you have other supporting yeah. evidence too. Just to, we'll go forward with one victim if, if that's all we have and there's no other supporting evidence because one witness, if believed by you, is sufficient to prove any fact. That's a jury instruction. That's the law in Ohio. 
Um, but what you don't want is you don't want that victim to feel all that pressure. Yeah. And so then you gather all of that information and then, you know, where, where is the victim in the process? Maybe they were ready to cooperate when the investigation started, but now the investigation is eight months later and they've relapsed or they've moved away or they're so far into their treatment and their recovery that they don't want to revisit it. So then where are you? Mm -hmm. And then you give it to your prosecutor who, if it's in our case, is working all their other cases and has to review this year-long investigation, right? So that's going to take time. And then, at least in Franklin County, the court process can take a very long time. Yeah. Um, it can take a year or more. And so you've How got... How long do you think it takes, or in your, in your experience, a case from start to across the finish line? You mean from, like, first tip to like conviction? Sure, the investigation sure, case? Sure, yeah. Oof. Three years? I was going to say two, two or three years. Mm -hmm. I can't wait till I get asked this question again. Yeah, like two I or three like years. I, yeah. Because, you know, you can talk to it. Let's say you talk to, they get a tip, and that victim's willing to talk to you right now. They're ready to tell you everything. Great, uh -huh. okay? So they tell you everything. And then they say, and this girl, this girl, and this girl also used to work for him. Okay. So great, you have that piece of information. They still have to get, um, maybe they're going to get ads. They're going to get, and when they get ads, they have to get, other information about who posted the ads and who paid for the ads and mm -hmm. all sorts of information. Maybe they're going to track down those other girls and see if they're willing to cooperate. They're going to try to track down hotel things. They're going to just continue to build the investigation, which takes time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the other issue we have here, too, is resources, yep. right? We Always. only have three um, task forces, well, under the OCIC umbrella, and then we have some FBI task forces throughout the state, but they're undermanned, mm -hmm. right? They don't have enough people. Mm -hmm. And then you have smaller communities that... That, that, like Jamel said, they have one detective, uh, or said in our meeting today, they have one detective who's investigating every single crime that happens in their mm -hmm. community. And so you add all of those factors in, the investigation's going to take, let's say, six months to a year. Then you send it to your prosecutor, it gets indicted, and it takes another year to get through the court system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, your, and your victims have to hang in there through all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then... Then it's two years later, and they got to come in and relive all of this in front of a right. jury. And in front of a jury that doesn't necessarily understand it. Right. Right? So now they're getting true. A, so now true. the jury's getting a human trafficking 101 uh -huh. to try to make sure that we're all on the same page. <laughs> which, you're, which, which you're doing through questioning them in Wadir. You're trying to educate them. You're using the victims to educate them. Like, what is a date? What is an ad? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How would you collect your money? You know, I mean, you're well, using them to teach the jury. Mm -hmm. You're using them to teach the jury what does it mean to be dope sick? Can you explain that to us, please? Like, mm -hmm. there's all these things that we all know and we all understand, but imagine having to prove that case plus educate Yeah. A, a, when you go to talk to a group that doesn't know anything about human trafficking. So imagine, like, and now I want you to decide these really serious right, charges. Right, right, right. Yeah, go. For or, sure. or all they know is the misconceptions. Uh-huh. Right. And so now what, you're, what they're seeing in reality is very different. There aren't physical chains. Right. Right? And there aren't all these different things that maybe they've seen in movies or in shows or what have you. And so now you're, they have to try to understand and believe that even though this person didn't have physical chains, they, are, they were being trafficked. Totally. And that could be very... That's shocking enough for some people during like a presentation, and it takes time for that information to kind uh -huh. of seep in. You know what I mean? Much less during a trial process, and you're just you're hoping that you're giving them the tools and explanations mm -hmm. enough that they can be able to take what they're hearing and they're, they're seeing and be able to come back with a decision that we're in favor of. <laughs> yeah. So through that whole all that explanation and, and, and the details of why, you know, if from a question that like that really began from both of you saying like we need to understand what it actually looks like mm -hmm. to, to get a case from start to finish um, we often say that this is not like human trafficking is not a law enforcement issue alone mm -hmm. that it's a it's not a community issue it and is. so so many things you said pointed to the need for education in the community awareness mm -hmm. and other social services um, mm -hmm. in all these other um, areas of our community so that we can really create a network in yes, the community. A to, safety net. Yeah, to respond. Yes. To, to, so that 
people don't look at this and, and, and point the finger at law enforcement and say right. the law enforcement is not doing enough. Right. So that the victim feels supported, the victim feels safe, the victim yep. has resources. So then if they have all of those things, then they're more confident and willing to talk to law enforcement right. so that we have jurors and the general community who understand that it isn't the white van at the mall, uh -huh. that it isn't these things we see on Facebook, that it can start with addiction and you know, and, I and know relationships and boyfriends right. and girlfriends, and and that they understand all of those dynamics, and they don't, um, they don't um, not diminish the validity of it, but sort of discount the validity yeah. of that, mm -hmm. right? Because if you think about it, everybody accepts that we have an opioid epidemic, right? Okay, now. but now, now. okay, but right. how long did it take us to get there? But at the same time, we still have plenty of people that will decide. Um, you know, well, I, I'm not going to, this person, my family member stole from me, so I'm not talking to them anymore. I can't help them anymore. I'm done, right? And so it's sort of this idea that that's, they're making a choice. Yes, they're making a choice, but that choice can lead them to be victimized. So True. are you going to not listen to what a victim says because you think he or she made a choice by, mm -hmm. by using drugs or being addicted? Mm -hmm. Because that, you know, they, they don't decide, well, I want to t do these drugs and then therefore I want somebody to hurt me along with right. that, yeah. right. right? And so there's all these other pieces to it that people don't necessarily understand. And we have a lot of ideas in society or different viewpoints that can lead to people not being accepting or understanding or willing to listen to what victims say, right? Mm -hmm. Or that they're there by choice, right? That, that the victims are doing it because they want to do it. That's what we would see as a defense a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't, I was just making sure she was safe. I wasn't trafficking her. She was, she was doing that prostitution that stuff safety. on her own, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this is one of my favorite things that Jamel says, um, and I'll, I'll give her all the credit in the world for this, but I'm totally stealing it right now. Go for it. <laughs> um, is that no little girl or little boy mm -hmm. grows up and says I want to be a pro or says I want to be a prostitute when I grow up? Right. Right. I mean, so but we don't think of those things as a society, mm -hmm. and I think that helping us with all of the things that we're doing and providing that safety net and providing all this awareness, if we can sort of change how people view trafficking, sure. um, and I can get on my sexual assault soapbox too. We live. I think sometimes when it comes to sexual assaults, we live in a culture of disbelief. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. That's our automatic. Right. He said, she said is a negative, except under the law. He said, she said, if they believe one part is sufficient to prove any fact. Right. Like I said, and so I think that's changing a little bit with the Me Too movement. But automatically, like if I told you I got robbed outside and somebody stole my purse, would you be like? Uh, what were right. you wearing? What right. was in your purse? Right. Was your purse open? Could they see what was inside your purse? You would be like, oh my God, Jen, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Okay, now you might be nicer if I told you I was sexually assaulted, but somebody else may not. Yeah. The questions are, were you drinking? Were you on a date? What were you wearing? Right. And so I think sort of that culture feeds into this as For well sure. with trafficking. Yeah. I always say in presentations, I'm going to do this presentation on what human trafficking looks like right here in Ohio uh, from our experience at Rahab. Uh, and everything in this room could sound really black and white. When you walk out of the room, it's all gray. Yes. Like everything is mixed together. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yes. And I love the way that you guys have said, this is oftentimes, you know, self-harm, intimate partner violence, mm -hmm. addiction. Yes. All, all these things kind of converge on the mm -hmm. life of a, of a survivor. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those kind of, mm -hmm. that, that kind of education needs to get out. And uh, there were times where I felt, like, overwhelmed. Like, how are we going to bring so much change and get people to understand and get on board, right? And that, I don't know if I can do this, right? <laughs> and then I had to pause and had a little chat with, with God, and he was, and it was kind of like, the domestic violence movement has been around for 50, 60 years. Uh -huh. We are where we are now, 50 to 60 years later, right? It took a long time to get here. We're in the first like, 10 years of the human trafficking movement, if you will. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely like room that is gonna happen, it's gonna grow, but there's gonna be a lot of opposition in the beginning. Yep. But you just keep chipping away. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So right now we're still probably at the toes, maybe? <laughs> or the ankles? <laughs> right? <laughs> that is really gross. I'm following, I'm following, I'm following, I'm following it. I'm following it. But, but, um, it's like a chocolate yes, elephant. You keep yeah, that, yeah, yeah. okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> chocolate elephant. Now you're speaking chocolate my language. Okay. So um, when we, so a lot more people can understand domestic violence. A lot of us have, whether it's a family member or a friend or somebody that's, that belongs in a social environment that we're, that we're connected to, they can understand the dynamics of 
domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And they can understand maybe why this wife, this girlfriend, this husband, this, this boyfriend may not have left that unsafe situation. But we're not there yet for people to understand why a trafficking victim didn't leave. Right. But it's it, it creates almost a conversation to kind of connect those dots because if you can kind of start to understand the dynamics of uh, domestic violence and those those elements are usually present in sex trafficking, right. you have that power and control that's happening repeatedly on top of being exploited mm -hmm. and things like that, that it kind of helps people yeah, get you can that. draw that line. Yeah, and they kind of have those like aha moments mm -hmm. at times. So um, that's something I, I use a lot to be able to help begin to build that bridge yeah. <laughs> of people to kind of understand. For sure. And I love that both of you said that you the goal is to have not the entire weight of the case on the, mm -hmm. like the victim carrying that. Yes. And so one of the things that you've said, Jamel, is that you want to be a voice for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me how to do that in a way where you're not the new person speaking for them? You know what I mean? Is that, do you understand the question? Like if you're going to be the, if they're voiceless, Mm -hmm. And now we've got someone who's the voice for the voiceless. They've had someone who's been a voice for them before, just in a negative sense. And so how do we represent people who don't have a voice mm -hmm. in a way that is responsible and uplifting yeah. and really representing them? Yeah. How can you be a voice for a voiceless in, a, in an altruistic and responsible way? So I think one of the things is when somebody's coming out of a trafficking situation, they didn't have any control. And so if they're part of your program or your agency in some sort of capacity, allowing them to have some control and to be able to make decisions. Can you give me like practical examples of that? Are they like so, little tiny things? That you yeah, could like, like it could be small things, medium things. So for example, if let's say um, there needs to be a decision on what group that they're going to go in for, whether it's a um, counseling group or arts and crafts or something for them to participate in, mm -hmm. right? And instead of just saying, you're going to go to um, the painting group today, there, there is, instead, say there is painting, there is horseback riding, there is which one would you like to attend? Right. Allowing them to have choice, mm -hmm. right? I think choice allows for ownership and empowers people to feel like they also, their decisions and their thoughts matter and their voice is being heard. And also I think in situations where you're empowering them, you're encouraging them to speak, and you're letting yeah. them know, I want to hear you. I want, I, I want to understand where you're coming from. Um, I want to be able to be here. And so when they also can see somebody in a capacity, like when I would go to court, and sometimes court could be a really scary place, right? Um, whether you've been in and out of the court system or not, it could still be a very scary place. And so when they're in their situations where there's a court situation, or maybe you go with them to Job and Family Services, or you go with them to the BMV, and you're picking up on this person's body language that they're uncomfortable or um, they're not being treated fairly and you speak up on their behalf mm -hmm. and they're able to see you really follow through on helping to be a voice, right? And But including them in the conversation versus like, I'm just gonna talk for you, right? Yep, but yeah. making them a part of that conversation, uh -huh. I think that is super, super impactful and super important. And as things progress, one thing that I would, I would do, because in the beginning, when we talk about balance, I just want to do everything for this person. Uh -huh. But doing everything for somebody ends up not really being helpful. So true. Right? I mean, you're doing nothing for yourself. And so... I just sounded like Jamel. You did. High five. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, and so understanding that there's a saying that if you give a man a fish, you are um, able to feed him for today. If you teach him how to fish, they're able to, to eat for a lifetime. So instead of just saying, I'm going to do all these things, we're going to make a plan, I'm doing all these things for you, including them in, you're going to be doing these things together. So maybe there's five things. I'm going to do two of them. You're going to do two of them, and we're going to do one thing together, or I'm, or I'm helping you along the that. way. That way it's not that you're, you're taking everything on. There's also ownership mm -hmm. and opportunity for them to be able to kind of grow those skills because there are a lot of skills they have to relearn or be exposed to for the first time. Um, and so allowing them to be, to be in partnership with the process versus just being told this is what you're going to do because that's what they were exposed to before. The trafficker told them. You're gonna do X, Y, and Z. You're gonna go yeah. here. You're gonna eat here. You're gonna have this. You're gonna, you know what I mean? You can't do this. So I guess in those situations, being able to allow them to have opportunity to make decisions, I mm -hmm. think, is super huge for them to be able to feel like they have a voice. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was asking. Thank you so much for clarifying <laughs> that. Because I, I mean, because I could see that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on people specifically, but I. I can almost see like the desire to help yes. be turn into this overbearing means, like I'm yeah. going to be the new con I'm the new controller I'm, yeah. yeah and so uh, being a voice of the voiceless sounds a lot like 
um, like listening. Yes. And like allowing them to say to no. I don't want to do this today. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Being able to, for them to be able to have opposition or say, I'm not trying to go down this path. Okay, so what is important to you? So not, I'm not going to make a case management plan based on what I think is important. What do you think is important? What do you yeah. want to work on first? That way, again, that choice and that voice is present. And I can have my own um, train of thought as to what I think is important. But for them, it may be something else. And so what's it like for you when you've been working with someone for a while and then you're in a, a situation where they would not, not usually speak up for themselves and then they do? It's amazing. Yes. Weeping, gnashing. Sometimes on the inside, because sometimes you have to compose yourself a little bit, right? can't just be throwing tears everywhere all the time. <laughs> but it's just so powerful to see somebody That's be able like to the stand yes. up. Yes. Yeah. And especially when they're there and, and they, you guys kind of make eye contact and I'm like, you get it. You did it. You did it. You did it. You know, it's such a beautiful experience because you're also able to see them, they're progressing and they're moving forward. And now they also can feel it too because when they feel, I just said that. Uh-huh. I would have normally not said anything. Yeah. And then like, okay, I got something else to say. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. Yes. Uh-huh. It's really, really, really powerful, um, impactful, and it's, it's really, really beautiful. That's so cool. Yeah. And so I've only had a few interactions and opportunity to observe Attorney General Yost, uh, but from those interactions, I'm 100% convinced that the issue of sex trafficking is not a political issue for him. No. Not at all. Like, mm-hmm. This... This is deeply significant to him. Do you have any perspective as to why that is? Mm-hmm. And if not, what is it like working in that kind of environment where this is not I think a that's political a thing? I think, this that's is a, a, um, I think that's a better question for us. Um, it is absolutely amazing. And it, I just it's hard to put into words how great it is because I think so often human trafficking, it, because it is such a buzzword, because it is... Um, such a topic that everyone or a lot of people are talking about now, it can be used for the wrong reasons, right? Or it can be paid, that you could just be paying lip service to it. Like, yeah. I'm going to do this thing, but I'm not really going to do uh-huh. this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Jamel and I are sitting here, as well as Emily, our, uh, our third member of the Charlie's Angels crew. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Emily? Um, <laughs> that I think that that is... Uh, point number one or proof number one that he cares about this issue and I will tell you that we have had interactions with him where it is it is just he dedicates time to this issue he I did not understand quite honestly how busy the attorney general of the state of Ohio is right like you would think I would have had a better understanding working in a law enforcement area that the chief law enforcement officer would be really busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's unlike anything I've ever seen. He is everywhere all the time running around, right? And consistently dedicates long meetings to us. Mm -hmm. One on, like, like with us, brainstorming, talking about things. Also, um, our big thing right now is to amplify our efforts. He doesn't want it to just be the three of us. He wants, he wants to take the three of us and multiplied. M- multiplied throughout the state. And not necessarily through HTI jobs. Please don't submit your resumes. <laughs> um, but, but, like, but to make this a movement, yep. to not just have, well, I put together this three-person group who went through the state, mm-hmm. but to have it have a broader state impact, to have it ripple throughout the state. Um, and well, I think either that you guys are really good at, at faking it or there's something real happening here because when you came and visited us, we're like, this is amazing. These people are there and that there's resources to have them in that position. And yeah. like, it feels like we're connected to them and we're yeah. saying the things and they're saying yeah. the things that we say. And we're like, mm-hmm. this couldn't be better. And yes. so how, like, how is that not and, evidence that, that this is important and, uh, to him? This unit didn't exist before. Like this is a newly created yeah. group. He created this thing. I want to dedicate this Right. I want to have something specific that is working on this issue every single day. And I'd also say that um, how, how we know and have been able to experience that this is real, not just a political thing, um, Attorney General Yost has learned about this issue years before and has uh-huh. been learning about it for years. So it's, um, it's not just, oh, I'm running for a campaign. This is my thing. This, now. Yeah. this is something that he's been learning about for quite some time mm-hmm. and I think has a passion and now is able to use the platform that he has to be able to impact the yeah. whole state 
um, mm-hmm. in ways that is we're super excited to, to be part of it. Yeah. And we're building this thing and growing it, and uh-huh. he's letting us. Yes. And so cool. He literally is like, tell me your thoughts. Right. <laughs> You're like, really? And we're like, <laughs> you want to hear my thoughts? Are you sure? Are you I don't sure? know if you want to hear them all. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I was like, so I had a dream about this. And he's like, okay, I want to hear more. You know, and I was like, wow. wow. It's, it's super, super, super cool. Um, he's also pretty approachable. And he, like Jen said, he makes time for us to just mm-hmm. have these conversations and make real conversations about yeah. things too, you know? Um, so we're just super excited and just feeling blessed and grateful that mm-hmm. we get to be in this capacity, be in this environment, and be able to have the reach that we have um, and impact everyone that we meet. Yeah, and so as you're as you're meeting so many people and as you're traveling across the state and mm-hmm. um, sex trafficking is this terrible, unthinkable, ugly thing that's happening, but mm-hmm. uh, in a weird way, I, I see it almost acting as like a great unifier. Yes. Um, I don't... I don't know if there's another issue that's as, as widely agreed upon right it's now. It's a human issue. Yeah, as mm-hmm. that people shouldn't be sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... We are not commodities. Yes. And so do you see it that way? And if so, does, does sex trafficking present, in your opinion, an unexpected opportunity for collaboration and unity mm-hmm. in a landscape that's super divided right now? Like, do you see collaboration? Yeah, do I you would see say unity? Yes. I, I for sure, because when you, when you think about the basic needs that anybody is in need of, right? right? And you think about all the different agencies that are connected to that. So if you have like job and family services, um, insurance, Medicare, right? Um, Housing, um, addiction services, counseling services, law enforcement, um, different kinds of treatment providers, juvenile, adult, federal court, um, municipal court, uh, common pleas court, it really just brings, I think, so many, because I think our victims and survivors in these cases, trafficking itself is just such a layered mm-hmm. thing. There's just so many different components that are part of the actual illicit activity, even more so because it's so complex. I think um, when somebody's involved in that situation, those complexities are present. And so if you let's say you're working with an adult, let's say it's an adult female, the complexities and trauma may also go extend back through childhood. Yeah. Right? And so when you think about the childhood experiences and also being able to learn if this person was through children's services or through foster care or um, through situations that happened at home, and you can learn about these different vulnerabilities that were present here that continue to grow um, and made this person even more vulnerable as they continue to get older, and we think about what agencies are connected to those different areas and how can we even be able to improve on those in those agencies in those areas, I think it definitely brings people to the table for sure. That wouldn't be at the same table in other sense. Mm-hmm. Like but you, I don't think anybody, and I think along those same lines, I don't think anybody would ever say to you, it's okay for people to be bought and sold. Right, yeah. that's what or I'm saying. Or that it's ever okay for... Um, a human being to be treated as a good yeah. to be yeah. traded um, because that that's just not that's not how our society operates nor is it cha- how it should operate mm. um, one of the things that we talk about w- when you talk about why it's such a profitable business is because I can sell this piece of drugs once but I can yep. sell a person over and over and over again when you're talking uh-huh. about sex trafficking or I can make them work yeah. day after day, hour after hour after hour for labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody would sit and say that those things are okay. And so I think that is also why it's yeah. a great unifier because it is a human issue. It isn't, yeah. it isn't um, you know, a female issue, a uh-huh. male issue, mm-hmm. a law enforcement issue, just like Jamel's mm-hmm. saying. It's not just an a, uh, insurance issue. Mm-hmm. It's not this issue. And I think that all comes mm-hmm. together and that it's everybody's issue. Yeah. And then the, the, if you look at it in a triangle, you have victims trafficker, consumer, when uh-huh. we're talking about um, sex trafficking specifically. Right. And so when you have a supply, there has to be a demand, mm-hmm. right? Is it vice versa? Yes. Demand, supply. No, you have a de- when you have a demand, there has to be Thank you. Thank you. I'm I confused that, right? I'm tracking with you. So that means that the demand side can impact any family as well. Uh-huh. So it could be somebody's dad, somebody's grandpa, somebody's coach, somebody's teacher, um, these other pieces that are connected. So not just from the victim perspective, but also who is part of the demand that's driving right. this situation and how these families and these different groups are connected. So we have 
the business sectors, the private sectors. Uh -huh. You have um, people that are um, in the upper class um, when it comes to having disposable income, right? Who's, who is choosing to go out and buy sex? And you, usually it is, for the most part, it is men with disposable income right. that are engaging in these kind of activities. And so what does that mean? How does that also connect to the family structure? Uh -huh. um, and how sometimes people can be able to almost create a barrier that this this person that I'm coming here to buy sex not a person is not a person. I see this as just a transaction, uh -huh. uh, and I'm here to get what I want. They're here to and get what they want, and that's and they're willing yes. participants. And it wasn't until um, there was somebody that uh, speaks at the John School, and there was somebody there who got charged with um, buying sex, and at the end of it, he explained kind of. No, I never really thought about it that one of these women in these hotels could be my daughter. Like, it, it just so far removed that this is not, this person is somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody's mom, somebody's something, right? But, and so, but they are somebody, period. Correct, True. Right. correct. And so because of that, you have, when he talks about being able to unify, it can impact any of us in some type of way, mm -hmm. whether it's through the, the supply side, if you will, the demand side, if you will, if you know somebody who may be exploiting somebody through a relationship. Yeah. Um, it can definitely, if you have a heart in your chest and if you've ever felt vulnerable in your life, right? right? I think we all can be able to say, at some point, I felt vulnerable, yeah. right? And the only difference is that with a trafficking victim survivor, there was somebody that was willing to take advantage of their vulnerability uh -huh. and exploit them because of that vulnerability. Yeah. And so, of course, the details people will disagree upon, mm -hmm. but in general, there's this almost universal agreement right now for most people, right? There are still people that are out there buying sex, mm -hmm. but when you, when you bring it into the... Uh, into a room like we're sitting in now where there was just a whole room full of people from every sector mm -hmm. um, for the most part coming together to unify around um, fighting this issue um, people agree that people should not be sold yes and so when I looked around the room at one point today I was like this feelings? is pretty cool I had like a little bit okay. <laughs> a little bit but you had to be in work mode still yeah I mean, I had to be professional so I'm not allowed to have feelings at work right, right. I'll stop it <laughs> but it was kind of cool I, I legit had this moment where I looked around the room and because we are rebuilding this group and trying to make a difference throughout the state and it just it sort of struck me uh, that we had a lot of really great people all sitting together from different um, like you said, different walks of life, different backgrounds, different jobs, different everything that can all provide mm -hmm. different things in different ways when yeah. a trafficking case comes along. Yeah. yeah. But not even a case when, when somebody gets trafficked, right. period. Yeah. And so there was, I guess, at a, at a really ugly time in our country's history when slavery was legalized, it was legal. Uh, Ohio actually had more safe houses in it than any other state. Mm -hmm. And more, more people found freedom through Ohio mm -hmm. than through any other state. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we believe at Rahab that Ohio is historically and geographically significant mm. um, like regarding freedom in America. Yeah. And so as we, we are a liberating state. I believe that. I like and so it. as we close, um, can you maybe just talk through or tell me or think through why Ohioans have a reason to believe that um, we can once again be known for freedom. I think that, I think it's important, there's two different things I'd like to say about that. First of all, I think it's important for every Ohioan to know that any little thing that they can do can make a difference, right? So it's like the ripple effect. You do one thing and it can impact so many other people. So, and I think Ohioans believe that in general. Um, and I think that the fact that we were just talking about all the different people that we had here around the table, Ohio has so many great people, programs, things available, so many great minds, whether they're researching, whether they're providing services, whether they're investigating, whether they are, I don't know, establishing coalitions, whether they are providing medical care, whether they are organizing clothing drives and operating safe houses, whatever it is, we have so many great people who are already doing the work. The fact that we have all of those things mm -hmm. should give every Ohioan hope yeah. um, that 
that we are going to make a change and that we can continue that tradition. Um, and every Ohioan should be willing to join in. You know, right. we have our join the fight postcards, have safe conversations, mm -hmm. have healthy conversations, talk to your kids, explore vulnerabilities, yeah. make sure, like just all of these things that you can do to make a difference in your mm -hmm. community. And there are so many resources mm -hmm. um, that we have in Ohio and the fact that we're bringing them all together yeah. should give everybody hope. Yeah, and why not Ohio? Like, why not be um, a beacon of freedom? Right. Mm-hmm. The hope bringers. Enough said. Enough said. Right. That's it. Mike, why, why not? <laughs> and so, uh, we we just hope to have such uh, so many more conversations yes. and opportunities to partner and, and yes. connect with you too and in the work you're doing. And so, um, I just thank you so much for all the information you just yeah, shared on the podcast. Yes, We're going to chop it up us. probably into little clips, easily consumable. I'll share it all with you guys. You awesome. Can, can listen to it um if if people <laughs> if people are uh, are wondering um about some of those resources you just said is the best place ohio attorney general dot gov slash human trafficking yes is that your brand new website yes that's our brand, brand new spanking new and still got the mint on the, it that has the logo that it you guys just logo. Yes. so ohio attorney general dot gov slash human trafficking yes and, and you it, can request resources uh, you can email us. You okay. can get Look all at sorts Mythbusters of that's on there. Um, depending so on what um, field of work you're in, there might be some resources there for what you can do, what it looks like from your perspective, um, how to pick up on things. Do you guys publish on um, like statewide trainings that are going on up there? Like, is there an events cal calendar on that at all, or will you, or is that part of a newsletter that people can sign up for, or what? I mean, not we don't yet. know. Not yet. Not yet. Coming, oh, soon. Coming uh, soon. That's still in development. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't, we mentioned we're still building this initiative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, yeah. true, but, true. So that true. could uh, definitely request a speaker if they want us to come and okay. present. Yes. What we do offer is to be able to do like a, a basic human trafficking 101. Then we also mm -hmm. can do more advanced for, uh, let's say it's for law enforcement or, or uh, um, attorneys or folks that are probably working with um, at-risk or high-risk populations that um, or maybe have received a 101 before but can go we can take a deeper take dive take a deeper dive take a deeper dive into it <laughs> um, so we do so offer good. those two um, pieces and then we also are having a human trafficking summit every year we just had our first one our inaugural summit mm -hmm. in January and so there's another one coming up um, for January, January 2021. 2021 so awesome. we haven't decided on a date specifically yet but we'll be able to have that information but everybody should reserve all of their days in January all the, the entire month the Got entire it. month you don't want to miss human it. trafficking awareness month anyways um, yeah. you definitely don't want to miss, miss it, it. Cool. yeah so we're excited well thank you guys so much Yay. thank you Jamel thank you Jen and for anybody uh, listening that wants to get more involved with Rahab and the work we're doing the expansion projects that are happening in 2020 just go ahead to our website Rahab dash ministries.org and fill out the drop your email in there for a newsletter um, send us a, a message to our contact form we'd love to connect with you peace <laughs> <laughs>